We do have someone who's going to come in just a moment and look for an artifact. But I just wanted to mention before they do, to, I wanted to remind you or encourage you, push you, prod you, drag you, shove you, implore you to go to the prayer time. Come to the prayer time at 1020. And I think that you're going to be blessed. Oren? Oren is our, we're going to say today an amateur archaeologist. I'm not going to say ignorant. That would be rude. I won't say that. I'm just going to say amateur. Good, Oren. You are so good. <laughs> I found some wings. Oren, do you have any idea what those wings are? You know, Kelly in Canada. I'm going to leave this place. What is this? Yeah. You know, because, because you are such an amateur yeah. archaeologist, I'll explain to you exactly what these are. Not ignorant. No, no definitely not ignorant in many ways. These are the wings from the Ark of the Covenant. I'm not sure exactly how they got melded together. Maybe it's, uh, yeah, I'd have to turn them like this, but then they're still together, right? Um, but nonetheless, that's what these are. So somebody tell me, why, why is that significant? What, what is the point of the wings of the cherubim that are on top of the Ark of the Covenant? What happened there? Okay, it's called the mercy seat, that's true. And by the way, for some of you, like Oren, this has nothing to do with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. What's that? There was some protection there going on for sure. But there's one key element that probably those wings coming together, and the way I I envision it, and actually the way that probably Steven Spielberg or someone envisioned it, is that the wings would come over the top of the ark and not actually join, and there in the center of the ark, right above those cherubim, something happened. What was it that would happen right at 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 the heart of that and at the center of the, where those cherubim come together? What happened? God's presence. The notion is that God would come and meet there with his people. We're going to look at some passages this morning that talk specifically about the different ways and times in which God would come to meet with his people. But the fact that he came together to meet with his people is significant. Now, before I get into that too much, I want to ask you a question. You're going to know the answer to this, most of you. The last few Sundays, sitting right here, there has been someone. And he's had a pretty notable kind of presence. Matt's not here this morning. I don't know if Matt's going to keep joining us or not. Matt's a student of mine at Ambrose. Uh, in class, when I'm up lecturing, he's right there. He sits in the front row. And his presence in class is just as present and noticeable as it is in our Sunday morning assemblies. Tell me why it is that Matt is so noticeable. Because some of you, I'm sure, have been sitting there at times thinking, that guy is noticeable. How is it that he's noticeable? 
What's that? He's demonstrative. Yeah, absolutely. I think I heard somebody else say that he's tall. That's true too. Have you noticed that when Matt sticks his arms up, it's like he just almost brushes the ceiling with the tips of his fingers? He's a tall guy, sticks his hands up all the way, and he's, he's noticeable. But he is demonstrative. And sometimes it's not that his hands are lifted all the way up, but sometimes his hands are down to the side. And he is, during the time that he's singing, he's swinging. And he's enjoying himself. There was one point last Sunday, some of you I'm sure would have seen this, when we started into a faster song, and all of a sudden, Matt did this. He went... And he bounced up and down a few times. And I'm guessing that because that's not typically us, I didn't see anybody bouncing this morning, although I'm sure Kevin was just on the verge of bouncing. (laughs) I didn't see anybody bouncing this morning, but nonetheless, I hoped, I would like to think that you experienced the presence of God. Because my point is, that's what's happening with Matt. Now, we, we could say something inside our heads and inside our hearts about what Matt's doing. It's, you might say, well, that's not really us. That, you know, we're not typically like that. But the fact is, is that Matt does that not because he's trying to show off, not because he's trying to, to grab anybody's attention. I know Matt well enough now to know that the reason that Matt does that is solely because he's in the presence of God. He's in the presence of God. Now, that comes out in us in various ways. We're all gifted in different ways. It doesn't have to come out in each one of us exactly the same way, but it comes out in Matt like that, the presence of the Lord with Matt. And I'll tell you what, I have absolutely no problem with that at all. In fact, I praise the Lord for it. Jonathan and I talked about this just briefly, just about the fact that for Matt to to be there and to show that to us, and that's how I kind of felt. I thought... Boy, to have Matt here is to, is to demonstrate something to us that we don't normally experience. It might even make some of us uncomfortable, but praise the Lord that he's here, experiencing Jesus the way that he is, and showing us something demonstrative in a huge way that perhaps shows us something that we could actually benefit from. Amen. Oh, I think there could be benefit from, uh, from, for us in all of that. And that's because the Lord is indeed with us. So let me ask you this question to begin this morning. Do you ever feel like you are really, really in the presence of God? And when? When does that happen for you? When are you really, really in the presence of God? Does that happen for you? And I'm not asking that Uh, as the preamble to an evaluation of our worship assemblies or something. Like, I'm not saying, um, do you ever experience God here on Sunday morning? If you don't, why? What's, What's wrong with us? I'm just asking, in general, the question, do we have ever an experience where we would say, I really, really, right now, am in the presence of the living God? And part of the reason I say that is because I'm convinced that God really wants to be with us. In fact, I would say if God is really, really there, and if we really, really have a relationship with Him and know Him, there must be times when we feel like He is actually there with us. There must be. 
because he wants to be with us. And if we really, really want to be with him, and he really, really wants to be with us, what in the world would stop us from being with him? If we really want to be with him. Because he wants to be with this, with us. And part of the reason I say that, of course, is because there is at least a bit of revelation in the Old Testament in these neglected treasures that we're looking at, there's at least a little bit of evidence that in the Old Testament, God makes intentional efforts to show himself to be, to and show himself to, uh, I didn't make that sentence right, did I? Efforts to show himself to and be with his people. Maybe that is right. He wants to be with us. That's the point. And there's evidence in the Old Testament that indicates just exactly that. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 13, first of all. It's in page 49 or on page 49 in the Bibles that are underneath the seats. Exodus 13. Verses 20 and 22. And this is really subtle. Like this doesn't come out and say, God wants to be with us. But this is right after the Exodus. And it says, After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. The pillar is there. The pillar of cloud is there. The pillar of fire is there. The pillar doesn't leave God's people because God wants to be with them. Now, this is a bit vague for sure. For God to appear as a pillar of fire or to appear as a pillar of cloud is certainly vague. But it gets a whole lot more direct very quickly in the book of Exodus. I want you now to turn to chapter 33. It's on page 64. And I'm going to read some from chapter 33 here, beginning with verse 7. And I have to tell you, I like when I, when I prepare a sermon and I'm doing study for, you know, for a lesson like this, it's not as though everything I read is just old hat. And I'm just reading it, you know, and I remember everything perfectly and Uh, You know, there's no new insights or something like that. Insights come to me constantly. And when I read this, there was something that happened between me and God and my understanding of God that was new. And I'm not saying incredibly new. I'm just saying it was new. I, I had revelation. My eyes were opened again, as happens so often when we read Scripture. Verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent, take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Can you imagine this? Like, there's a tent out there. Moses goes to the tent. When he gets to the tent, everybody stands up. They all stand at the front of their tents. And they just wait and anticipate that something is happening when Moses goes to this tent. 
As Moses, this is verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks, what's the Bible say? To a friend, as a man speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but this young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Wow! Joshua, who of course becomes the leader of Israel after this, gets to stay there. Just basking in the presence of God. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses wants to know him. Then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, just listen to these words. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Do you hear what he just said? What he just said is, the presence of God with us is what is going to distinguish God's people from everybody else. And so when I watch Mike... On, or Matt, on Sunday morning, Mike was baptized last week, but when I watch Matt on Sunday morning, and he clearly is experiencing, at least in his own perspective for sure, the presence of God, I start thinking to myself, isn't that because God is really with him? Isn't that because something distinguishes those people who have the presence of God with them? Should there not be something noticeable? And I'm not saying that it has to always appear in something tangible like this. But there should be a difference between the people in the world and the people who have the presence of God. And Moses says, we have to have you go with us. He essentially says, we can't, we can't be distinct. And what he really means ultimately is, we won't survive. We can't be a people unless you go before us and are with us. The word tabernacle, which is what is built, the tent of meeting, comes from a Hebrew word mishkan, which means dwelling, means presence. That's why sometimes we talk about tabernacle as if it's a verb. He tabernacled with us. It just means that he dwelled with us is dwelling with us, is present. God is with us in a significant way. And again, God so badly wants to be with us. That's why he does all of this. He goes and meets Moses sometimes at the doorway of the tabernacle after it's built. Sometimes he just comes and centers himself right above the cherubim. God sometimes is a pillar of fire, sometimes a pillar of cloud. But the point is, is that God wants to be there. He wants to be with his people. That, that was the whole point of the priesthood. There was no need to have all of this ritual and carry on with all of this spectacle of cleanliness and uh, the tabernacle with its ornate trappings and all of the 
implements that are in there, the ark and the sacrificial table and all the things that are present, none of that was necessary. Except that God wants to come and be with His people. And the whole notion of the priesthood is that they would be interceders. Interceders between a sinful people and God. And He would allow the priesthood to be a conduit through which he might come and be with them. In the same way that he's a conduit through Moses, he's a conduit. Or I should say Moses is a conduit and Aaron is a conduit so that we can meet with God. Now I want you to look just back at chapter 29 for a second. This was to be a perpetual kind of thing. Verse 42 in chapter 29 says, For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites and and the place will be consecrated by my glory. glory. Glory from God is going to be shown to the people as he meets with them. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Now later on, this idea was so important to the Jews that the rabbis, by the time of Jesus when the whole rabbinic system had been developed and many other books had been written that are outside the Old Testament, the Talmud, the priests, or sorry, the rabbis, who were teachers of Israel at this point, developed special language for this. It went beyond just the presence, the the notion of tabernacle and just meeting with, but there was this notion of what they called Shekinah, a coming together in a special way where God would reveal himself to his people and show himself present. And you can think about what this might mean for them. What had happened between the time of the rabbinic period at about the time of Jesus and, say, the time of David? Something significant. The Babylonian captivity, along with the destruction of the temple. And where is God if there is no temple now? And so they develop a new language. Eventually, the temple's rebuilt. When Herod is on the throne, Herod rebuilds the temple. But there was a whole new language that developed, a whole new word that begins to begin used. It's not actually in the Old Testament. The word Shekinah is not in the Old Testament. But it becomes such a significant word because it was so important to the rabbis, even then, that they could be in the presence of God. And they looked at their history and said, wow, one of the most significant things that was happening with the sacrifice and with the priesthood was that God was present. So the rabbis specifically develop a whole new way of thinking and language about the presence of God just because this notion of God's presence with them was so significant. Well, all of that's important, but ultimately, what does it mean for us? Ultimately, there must be something there for those of us who are Christians, not just reflecting on what they did, but what happens with us. And I would say that part of the point this morning needs to be that we actually give too little attention to the idea that God wants to be with us, to dwell with us. Doesn't it make sense that given everything that we know about God 
and what he's done with Jesus, that we would find ourselves more often in the presence of God? Doesn't it make sense that more often we would say to ourselves, I am in the presence of God right now? Because he wants to be in our presence. And if he wants to be in our presence, what's going to stop him? And the only thing I can think of is if we don't go to the tent of meeting. And I don't mean come here, of course, on Sunday mornings. I just mean if you don't make some effort, if there isn't some inclination on our parts to go and be with God, then he may not come and just be with us despite our lack of attention to being with him. And so Jesus says things like, ask, seek, knock, and something's going to happen. Because Jesus wants us to ask and to seek and to knock. God wants us to ask and to seek and to knock. He wants us to be in his presence. But we need to open ourselves up to him. And be willing to let God come and be with us. He does not want to be some aloof judge. God doesn't want to be separate from us. He wants to be present. In fact, he wants to be one with us. He wants to come and dwell within us. God is one who longs to show himself to us, to be close to us, to be with us, to walk alongside us, to speak with us, to dwell in us. What happens when two or three of those who are in service to the Lord, who have given their hearts to Jesus, what happens when two or three of them gather together in his name? What does it say? That God is there in the midst of of you. And so that happens here. It's a promise that he comes and he sees us here. And not just here. It can happen obviously in a life group. It can happen in a Bible study. It can happen on Monday night when the young adults are together. It can happen with the teens on a Friday night. It can happen when I meet with somebody for coffee because it only takes two And God can be right there in the midst of us, part of our relationship, dwelling with us through the Holy Spirit. Look at this passage. We know this well. And I will ask the Father, and He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. For he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Why will we see him? Because he's with us. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's what he wants for us. In fact, ultimately, that's what heaven is. Look at this. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he shall be their God, and they shall be his people. Now the dwelling of God is with men as the new kingdom, the new Jerusalem unfolds and comes down. I began by asking if there were times when you felt his presence, when you knew you were in the presence of the Holy One, and I must tell you that I have felt that presence, and it's rich 
and deep and comforting and filled with peace and fulfillment and joy and wholeness and purpose and love and oneness and unity and relationship. It is sustaining and it gets us through the most difficult times. Sometimes it fills me with such joy and excitement that I feel like my heart's going to burst open. Sometimes it moves me to tears. There are times when I'll be standing next to Robin on a Sunday morning and we'll be singing some song and I'm so touched in my heart that the words can't come out. And I'd like to, I, I, I'd like to keep singing, but I can't. I can't keep singing. The words won't come because I'm so enveloped at that moment by the presence of God. Sometimes it comes as tears. Sometimes it comes almost as trembling. You know, and it comes when I'm, when I'm standing and I'm recognizing that God wants to be with me. He wants to be present with me despite my sinfulness. Like if there's anything that would prevent me from being with God at a moment like that, it would be my own sin. It's the only thing I can think of. And Jesus takes that away. So that the only impediment between God being present with me in such a real way, my own sin is actually abolished. Moved out of the way by the blood of Jesus. Which means there is nothing there then that stands between myself and God. I think of the forgiveness that I've received from Christ and from others, and I think of the fact that despite my sinfulness, the Holy Spirit still wants to come and indwell me. The Spirit wants to be inside me despite the fact that I sometimes sin. And the Spirit comes in right when I'm sinful and says, you have the right and the privilege to cry out to Him, Abba. And I can be in his presence. When that happens, there's a chill that runs up my spine and the hairs in the back of my neck stand up. Sometimes I think people speak in tongues when that happens. Because they're experiencing this moment with God. Sometimes they lift their hands almost to the ceiling. It can happen when I gather with others in prayer like we're going to do in just a little while. I can't tell you what kind of experience you're going to have in a little while when we meet together and pray. But I can promise you that God will be there and will be with us. So where are you this morning as you think about the presence of the Lord in your life? Are you here? As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And of course the answer is now, right now. But the psalmist longed so much 
to be with God. So come on, church. Do we pant for Him? Do you thirst for Him? Ask Him, and it will be given to you. Seek Him, you'll find. Knock, and a door will be opened. And when the door opens, He pours Himself in because He wants to come and dwell with you and to be present with you. Are you open? Will you seek Him? For those of you who need to be forgiven, will you be forgiven by His blood so that He can come in and dwell with you? Man, I hope so. I hope so. Because if we're open to that, He's going to do something. He's going to be present in a dramatic way. Let's pray. Lord, I praise you and thank you for your presence this morning. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you would come and eradicate sin from us so that the presence, your presence, could come and dwell with us through your Holy Spirit. I thank you that the barriers that could otherwise be there because of our attitudes and our actions, that all of that can be swept away and there can just be unity between ourselves and you. We praise you for that. Thank you for your presence this morning with each one of us. And I pray that that reality would grow in us, maybe even to the point of being demonstrative. We might have you in us. And I pray you'd bless our prayer time in just a little while as we come before you again into your presence. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. So let's all stand together. Um, I love, love, love this sermon series. And as Kelly was talking about the presence of God, I was thinking about the progression of the presence of God. So I'm going to tell it to you quickly. In the beginning, there was the chaos of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over it, saying, I'm more powerful than the things that you fear most. He called Abraham out of his pagan worship to a land that he didn't know, and Abraham followed him. He showed up to Moses in the burning bush, and then he instructed Moses how to build the tabernacle. And here's the thing about the tabernacle. The innermost layer was the most beautiful. And the outermost layer was just rough leather to protect it from the elements. The tabernacle of my heart's reversed, right? I put the pretty stuff on the outside, and I keep the rough stuff hidden. The tabernacle evolved into the temple. There was the Holy of Holies. There was a curtain that separated it, and then the Word became flesh and literally tabernacled with us. The presence of God dwelt with us. He tore the curtain open so that all of us could go at any time and meet with God as though meeting with a friend. Anytime we start with the words, Our Father who art in heaven, or dear God, we are doing what the Israelites dreamed of doing for centuries. And then a day will come, John says, when we'll all gather around the throne there will be one who's introduced as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he'll show up as a slain lamb, 
and rule for all eternity. That's the presence of God. That's a lot of grace for us.